Icon family, we are moving through our series uh, called Come Follow Me as we think about what it means to follow Jesus, what it truly means to follow him in the ways that we think, the ways that we feel, and the ways that we act. Now, following Jesus, uh, many times it might seem like a very easy endeavor. Um, you know, intellectually, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the same things that Jesus has said. I'm remembering what he said. I'm trying to feel the right things. But many times, <clears throat> many times we forget or we overlook what it means or what it costs us to follow Jesus. And following Jesus does carry, to a degree, a, a cost. Uh, in some ways, to a very large degree. And many times when we look on the front end of following Jesus and we think about it, it just seems, oh, that'll be easy. That's, that's no big deal. I don't have to put a lot of energy or uh, thought into it because uh, everything is laid out. I can just kind of walk in and passively just be. But that is not what it means to follow Jesus. There would be no reason for him to call us to do anything if it was just purely passive. And so when you think about following Jesus, think about it in the way that you might approach building something. The problem, if you've ever had to build anything or do anything with your hands, I'm not super handy at all, but whenever it is, whenever there is anything, even a small project that you have to work on, I know for me, if there's some kind of small thing that I have to do or something, I have to even hire someone else to do. Things always cost more in time and resources than we ever think they will. I mean, if anyone's ever renovated a kitchen, it costs more than they thought. Usually if you had to build a deck it ended up being more work than you thought. If you do anything, most times people who are building structures, it is so hard to come in at, at or under budget. If you even finish the project at all, it's rare. And so it's important to count the cost very carefully before we ever start a project, right? And no one ever starts out on a project and says, okay, I've got enough to to redo half of the kitchen, or I've got enough to build half of the deck, um, or I've got half of a, of a workbench so I can get started, knowing full well you're only gonna go halfway. No one would ever do that. We might miscalculate, we might have prices increase, we might have unexpected things that come up that we can't plan for, and we might not be able to hit the price spot on, but no one ever says, I, I have just enough money to do half, let's get started. This is the same way we have to think about what it means to follow Jesus. We don't follow Jesus saying, I plan to just do half. At least we shouldn't. We count the cost. What does it cost to follow Jesus? Wherever we are in our individual kind of respective areas of life, what does it cost us to follow Jesus? Because one thing he does not call us to do is to follow him halfway. So listen to the words of Jesus in the book of Luke. Listen to what he says about what it means to be called to follow. Listen to his words. He doesn't really leave a, a lot in the dark on this one. He really makes it pretty clear what it means. So let's, we're going to dig into to what, what that should mean for us. Luke nine twenty three. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will, will save it. Or will, whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words 
The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his, in his glory, and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, there are, some, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, consider this text and make sure that you measure or you balance this text or understand this text uh, within the context of one of Jesus' greatest miracles. This happens right during the time that Jesus has just fed the 5,000 people. And we know that uh, the 5,000 probably includes a much larger number because that was just counting the men, not the women and the children. So you've got a large number of people that have just been fed essentially by Jesus taking the lunch of a schoolboy, turns it into a feast. And then right after this passage that we've just read, Jesus ends up taking Peter, John, and James to the top of a mountain where they see the actual glory of Jesus. And he's surrounded by Moses and Elijah. Now, these were two of the most magnificent events in all of the New Testament. So we've got to be very careful to notice what Jesus has to say right in between them. Sandwiched in between these amazing, miraculous events are the, is this very stark, very important, very emphatic call to follow Jesus. And it helps us. Right. And even more so, understanding this context is going to show you the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of what he's saying. This is not just somebody holding people to a high standard. He's also inviting. He's inviting people uh, to serve abundantly and he's inviting them into his glory and into his splendor. So so this should help us understand his words. So from this passage, we're going to find. Three main points. First, there is difficulty in identifying with Jesus. It's difficult. And it might not sound difficult now, but we'll look at why it's difficult to identify with Jesus. Second, very counterintuitively, when we lose our lives, we actually gain life. When we lose our lives, we actually gain life. And third, we will see and encounter the kingdom of God. So difficult to identify with Jesus, losing our lives, we gain life, and we will see, we will enter the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so what makes it so hard to identify with Jesus? Why is it so hard? You might be thinking, I thought it's easy to find our identity in Christ, right? We're called beloved. And that's true. We, we are that we are called beloved. We are called ones that are loved by God. But Jesus calling us, God calling us and inviting us to be sons and daughters really means this. Here's what Jesus says. It means if you identify with me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You see, this statement hits really close to our hearts. Jesus saying this strikes us right in the heart. In other words, ignore aspects of what you think you need. Ignore things that you have valued highly, even within yourself. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. He's, Jesus is naming some of the deepest struggles, the deepest sins of our existence. We are a people and we've always been a people who are addicted to ourselves. 
We've always been addicted to ourselves. We've always been focused on pleasing ourselves, focusing on what gives us comfort, finding ways to worship ourselves. And now Jesus is saying, give up on all the ways that you are prone to self-worship and exalt and index me more highly than yourself. Deny yourself. So in in order to deny ourselves, uh, we have to become selfless. That means we've got to give up our preferences for the preferences of others. Definitely for God's mandates, for God's heart, which means we're going to have to give up our preferences for the preferences of others. What does that even look like? There may be something that we like or that we hold to that is not bad intrinsically, but yet somehow it gets in the way of how we love others well. So we need to pull that back. In order to deny ourselves, we do that for God's glory and we do it by saying this thing that I really want or that I really like or that I really prefer. If it's getting in the way of me loving someone effectively or loving God effectively, I need to deny myself. Then Jesus says, take up your cross. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable. We've got to be willing to flex our discomfort muscles. I remember seeing uh, someone give a talk about what it means to flex your discomfort muscles. And one of the things she said was, um, you have to put yourself in situations where you normally would do one thing for your own comfort. We're not talking about safety here, but just for your own comfort. And you instead, you do something different to just get yourself accustomed to being uncomfortable. And one of the things that she told a client was sometimes to just get in an elevator and instead of just facing the door like everyone else in the elevator is, turn around. And just face the opposite direction while everybody else is looking this way. You just look that way. You may not even have to look at them in the eye. Just look straight ahead and, and just act like it's normal. Now, that might seem really crazy and kind of off. But, but the point in that is getting yourself to a place where you're comfortable with being uncomfortable. Flexing your discomfort muscles. Now, obviously, I've gone from the sublime to the ridiculous. But when you take that and you, and you just put that on steroids and you think about what it means in following Jesus... There is a degree to which we've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And in this context, the cross meant dying a humiliating death at the hands of the Romans. So what that also means is somehow we've got to give up our fears about suffering. We've got to not just do things to avoid suffering, even to death in some cases. In some ways, following Jesus should enable us to become fearless, not to just throw, throw ourselves into uh, irresponsible situations just to prove our Christianity. But it just means in following Jesus, if there are certain consequences that may come because I'm honestly following God, then in some ways, God makes us fearless. So Jesus says, deny ourselves, take up a cross. And then he says, follow me. You know, when you're following anything or anyone, you give up control. Sometimes the hardest thing about following someone is being willing to trust someone other than ourselves. Especially if you've ever been hurt, wounded, abused in any way, it can be extremely hard to follow. It's very hard because you've, if you've been a child and you've suffered in certain ways and people who have been close to you have harmed you, you've been in churches and people who have been close to you have harmed you, your, your muscle memory says, 
I have more experience. I have more muscle memory being, being hurt than being healthy. I have more muscle memory being afraid than being safe. And so to trust someone requires so much more. <clears throat> it requires so much more uh, trust and it requires me to do something that's uncomfortable, that's unfamiliar. How in the world can I get to a place where I can trust someone other than myself when the only person I've been able to trust not to hurt me is myself? This is where that can be challenging. Because, but, but what that means is regardless of where we, have, we found, find ourselves now, when we identify with Jesus, we are going against our innate human tendencies, our selfishness, our fear, and our control. They become challenged when we follow Jesus. And so, so, so when you think about, you know, that, that first thing, what it means to identify with Jesus, that's, that's a, that's a huge part of, of why it can be challenging for us to follow him. But then you look at the second thing Jesus says, when we lose our lives, we gain life. When we lose our lives, we gain life. So counterintuitive. I mean, you would think <clears throat> me losing my life, I don't have it anymore. How do I gain anything else? And then Jesus goes on to say, if we submit to self, to selfishness, if we submit to fear, if we submit to control, we will lose our lives. They won't matter. We will be disappointed. We will be dissatisfied. We won't gain eternal life. And then curiously, he says, if we lose our lives, we will gain our lives. Then he, he underscores this point by asking, how does it benefit you to choose the desires of life here? And, and, and in the current time over the eternal life that he offers, you know, in many ways, giving up our life doesn't necessarily have to mean physically dying, but giving up our lives does really involve what does it mean for me to give up aspects of my lifestyle, aspects of things that are important in my life in order to love others and love God well. That's really what it means. What does it mean to gain the world and lose your soul? Ultimately, what does it mean to work so hard to gather more creature comforts and to make your life better or to make your life more comfortable if it happens at the expense of, of, of not loving image bearers well or not following Jesus well? What, what good would that be to you, to me? In many ways, this is yet another invitation that goes beyond fear and goes beyond selflessness or selfishness, right? This is an invitation that defines our very call to Christ, that defines what our role is in the kingdom of God. Jesus asks us to lose our life. Why? For whom? For the sake of God and for the sake of others. So, so in deciding to lose our life, we somehow mysteriously gain our lives. We gain eternal life. You think about this, what that, what that really means Jesus calling us to lose our lives and, and the ways that we gain it. He's really showing us when we are giving up the things that we think matter most here, that is what it means to gain the things that matter most honestly. The, in, in reality, in, the, in thinking in uh, terms of eternity, the things that matter most are the things that glorify God most. So if there are things in my life that get in the way of glorifying God most, I'm, I'm willing to give those things up because I genuinely want to glorify God most. I want to bring glory here in this life and in the life to come. <clears throat> and then finally, 
we see this idea of the kingdom of God. Again, look back at this, at this statement. Look at how he words this. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, we see the statement of Jesus specifically uh, referencing um, this transfiguration that's going to happen in the next passage when Peter and John and James, they witness the glory of Jesus. But it also reveals the reality of our lives whenever we choose to answer the call. When we accept and we embody that call to Jesus. This is when our role in the kingdom of God becomes solidified. That's when we get to catch a glimpse, a little taste of the kingdom of God here and now. Now, you, you might ask, like, well, what, what does that look like? How does that, how, how might that look what, when we talk about what it means to follow God and what it means to see the kingdom? Because in some ways we get a glimpse of that kingdom now. It'll be like, you know, people in our, people in our relationships, friends, family, roommates that might start to follow Jesus. It will be uh, the culture uh, in the areas that we work or the areas that we live or even in our cities, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. The culture starts to change a little bit to reflect God's love, to reflect what it means to be truly uh, reconciled and consoled one to another instead of the tribalism that typically ensues. It'll be uh, Christians, people who follow Jesus, living in community together setting the standard for what it means to be hospitable and what it means to be holy. That's what it could look like. It helps us realize that we were saved for the world. So we lose our lives just in the hopes that we can partake in God's redemptive work in it. I want you to consider that you really have been called to in some way Lose your life and follow Jesus right where you are. That's when you see the kingdom of God. So, so the question then that looms over all of us has to be, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Think about where you are, whether you have uh, a vocation that requires so much of you, whether it's time, whether it's energy, whether it's money, whatever it is uh, that you do. Maybe you are at home raising a family and there's so much that it demands of you. Maybe you're a student working and, and spending a lot of hours studying. Uh, maybe you're an athlete. Maybe you're a recording artist. Maybe you are uh, uh, it, working in a plant. Wherever you are, you have to ask yourself this question. Is it worth it? Is it a good investment? to follow Jesus? Or does it sound too risky? Will I really see the kingdom of God? Will I really gain, uh, gain life? Culturally, uh, it's easy for us to say, well, there really isn't anything to be gained by being selfless and trusting God. We need to trust ourselves. We need to consider what we need or what we want first. If we trust God, we won't be happy and he doesn't really have our best interest in mind. Or he, It's so easy for many of us to be surrounded by this message as we gather around with friends and we gather around with coworkers or maybe gather around with fellow students at, at, at a school 
it's really easy to to have that voice in your head. When we look at social media and we look at what we, who we view to be our goals, who we view to be our idols, who we view to be our examples. When you look at the examples, the examples that we see culturally is, listen, trust yourself, don't doubt yourself, find ways to make yourself happy. And again, to a degree, those things can be very helpful, but hopefully those things aren't the ultimate axiom by which we are living. Because if that is the ultimate axiom by which we are living, then the answer to whether or not it's worth it to follow Jesus will always be no. Because if the ultimate thing is to find ways to make myself happy, find ways to just exclusively make myself comfortable only, then following Jesus likely won't be my top priority. I'll start believing, well, if I trust God more than myself, I'm probably not going to be happy. Because I know me and I know what my interests are and I'm going to have my best interests in, in mind. I'm not sure that God will. And so many, many of us will fall into this trap of going, you know, I will only live my best life by doing what's best for me and me alone. But Jesus invites us into a different calling. We get to play a very different role in the kingdom of God. How? By giving up our lives. By investigating areas in our lives that we hold very importantly. What things do, again, what things do we exalt as non-negotiable, close-fisted things that we need in our life? And if they align with what God calls us to, amen, we keep holding them there. But if they do not align, then we need to, it doesn't mean we let them go necessarily. But we need to then ask, is there any way that these things are getting in the way of what God's called us to do? Is there any way that these things might get in the way of the, of the ways in which I love people and care for people, ways in which I love God. If they do, then if I'm counting the cost correctly, then that's when I know I need to actually give that up. Because in giving up our lives or our livelihood or the things that make us comfortable in our life, that's when we gain eternal life, when we identify with who Jesus is and we follow who Jesus is. In making that decision, that willful decision, all within the purview of God's sovereignty, where they kiss, we don't always know. But in making that decision, that's when we see the kingdom of God. It's not just we get to see it in the future. There are aspects of the kingdom that's encroaching into the here and now. And so when we stop and we consider what it means to follow Jesus, my question is, have you counted the cost? Today, do you continue to count the cost? Maybe the better question is, what ways have you had to deny yourself since you've been a Christian? And this goes beyond just again, here we are in, in, in Lent, kind of the second week of Lent. This isn't just, well, I gave up meat. That's, what I, that's how I, I gave up something for Jesus. I gave up meat this time. Well, it's got to be more than that, right? Because whatever it is that we're giving up, the question is, does giving this up enable me to love God and love the neighbor better? Does giving this up enable me to be able to love more holistically? Does giving this up enable me to follow Jesus more? I'm going to say this. If, if it's not helping you follow Jesus better, it's a waste of time. Whatever you're giving up for Lent, don't just do it for just rote, perfunctory purposes. Ask yourself the question, is this something that actually helps me follow Jesus more? 
If there are things that you can look at and go, man, I've really done this a lot in my life and I can see how that creates a wedge between this aspect of who God is and I'm struggling with ascertaining that part of who God is for myself, I'm giving that up so that I can re-engage God's heart and hopefully that will start to become embodied in me. Then that's what it means to be able to give up our lives. Maybe there are jobs that we do that by nature of the job itself, it actually harms people. I've known a couple of people who have changed complete careers because they realize that what they do, even if they're wildly successful, they realize that there are some things about the ways that my job functions that causes real damage or even injustice for image bearers. And even though I have a good living, I, I know that I can make a good, maybe not as good a living, but a good living over here. And I, or maybe I have to struggle in some ways, but I can't with a clear conscience continue to do X, Y, and Z if I know that it causes real harm, suffering, possibly even death to other image bearers. So I'm going to have to give up my life in order to follow Jesus. This is what it means to follow him. So have we counted the cost? Do we have this peace that lets us know that it's really worth it? Do we know that our lives become transformed as we lose them. That's what he calls us to. And that really is the joy in following Jesus because on the other end of this, as we do that, we are being shaped and molded to look like Jesus, to love like Jesus. And we are slowly ushering aspects of the very kingdom of God where we live. Imagine what our communities look like when we are all committed to losing our lives in order to follow Jesus, you know what happens? The lives of those around us become enriched. This is the definition of being blessed in order to be a blessing. This is our calling. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is how Jesus blessed us and loved us. Jesus counted the cost and he didn't half do it. He didn't meet us halfway. He did the entire thing and invited us into it. He didn't start the project and realize halfway through that he didn't have enough money to cover the tools or to cover the materials or to cover the labor. He was the tool. He was the labor. He was the materials. Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. Jesus gave us everything. And so because of that, we count the cost, not on how to do everything Jesus did, but how to respond well and represent and reflect what he's done and what he continues to do. So may we be a people that is committed to counting the cost daily, being convicted where we need to, being comforted where we need to, in order to love God well, to follow Jesus well, and to love one another. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you indeed would show us your glory, show us who you are, show us what it means not only to just uh, know who you are, but God, I pray that we would be overwhelmed by the cost that you counted and the price that you paid. And the fact that you have empowered us, you've changed us, you've remade us in order to love like you've loved, live like you've lived, counting the cost daily. God, I pray that your spirit would give us a deep peace that uh, lets us know and reassures us that even when giving up aspects of our life, when they're difficult, when they are cumbersome, we know that we are still in you. We know that you are holding us. We know that you have not left us alone. We know you are still working on our behalf. And so God, even in the levels of discomfort, 
Lord, give us peace in the midst of discomfort. Give us your comfort in the midst of earthly discomfort. Give us your hope in the midst of uh, earthly uncertainty. Lord, we want your heart, even in the midst of all the ideas and logic and reasoning of our culture today. Make us those who will, are willing to give up even things that are comfortable in our lives in order to love you well and even sacrifice for the sake of other image bearers in our families, in our cities, in our nation, and even in our world. And we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive this benediction of God today. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you.